6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck completes his teaching on the book of Job, chapters 15 through 31. There are two great questions that are nagging at Job all the way through here. Why is God absent where he's needed, and why is he so silent when he should speak? Those are the mysteries. Now, by the way, this is Job, the earliest book in the Bible, and he's not perfect. Peter and Paul both see evidences of these dilemmas. Both these dilemmas are evidences of God's patience and long-suffering. Why is, why is he silent when he is needed? Why is he absent when he's needed? Because he's patient. He doesn't strike yet because he has a purpose in it. And why is he silent when he should speak? Because there's a purpose in it. And that's what uh, uh, that Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He says, Oh, despisest thou the riches of goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? So you don't despise the fact that, that God is patient. You don't hear him because he's patiently letting it play out. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. That's what's happening to Job. Job's thinking this through, and you're going to see Job grow spiritually through these things chapter by chapter. Peter says the same thing, sort of, in Second Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. It's giving them a chance to repent of their own volition. You know, anyway, Job finishes it up and he says, Though it be given him to be in verse 23, chapter 24, though it be given him to be in safety whereon he resteth, yet his eyes upon their ways. They are exalted for a little while, but are gone and brought low. They are taken out of the way as all other and cut off as the tops of the ears of corn. And if it be not so now, who will make me a liar and make my speech nothing worth? Well, Bildad now, he's going to take his third shot at this. And he, he continues with the same worn out arguments. The good news about chapter 25, it's a short one, eight, six verses. So, and Job, in effect, replies. Now, there is, there is a distinction here. Most commentators have chapter 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, and 31, Job's final soliloquy. That'll be the end of Job's comments. From there on, it's the Lord's. But you'll notice there's, if, you, if you're watching this, we had, we had Eliphaz, Bildad, Zohar, and then uh, Zophar, and then uh, same three. We don't have a third uh, uh, discourse of Zophar. We'll have Eliphaz will speak, Job will reply, uh, 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 Bildad will speak. Uh, they believe, some scholars, primarily Bullinger, believes a segment of the sequence is actually Zophar's presentation a little later. Spoken sarcastically. You know, the, the tone is different, obviously. And I'm not going to get into that too much except just to highlight it to you for your notes because there's some scholastic debate about that. Most expositors feel that the rest of the, is, the rest of this is Job's reply and that Zophar never gets a third shot. Mullinger feels about verse 11 of chapter 27 is where he starts for about a chapter. We'll, get, we'll deal with that when we get there. That would provide symmetry. He may be right, but we'll see. But anyway, in, 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 uh, <laughs> 
In chapter 26, it seems that Job is hanging up the phone. He's, his answer to Bildad is rich in irony. Job answered and said, How hast thou helped him that is without power? How hast savest thou the arm that hath no strength? Hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? How hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? To whom hast thou uttered words? And whose spirit came from thee? <laughs> Actually, Satan sent them, but God is still using them because he's using us for, for, for Job's growth. And he goes on and, 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 and hammers away rather eloquently at, at our friend uh, and basically, he lists mysteries. God's going to talk, talk about his mysteries in a few chapters away. But he talks about uh, dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. Hell is naked before him. The destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty's place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Wow. You know, any of us with a, a, a modern science background, that's very vivid. Can you imagine this being in the oldest book in the Bible? He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Wow. And Isaiah will talk about the severe of the earth. Interesting. He, tre- he stretches out the north over the empty place. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. He bindeth up the waters as in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. He compassed the waters with the bounds till the day and the night come to an end. Pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at his reproof. He divideth the sea with his power, and by his understanding he smiteth through the proud. By his spirit he garnished the heavens, and his hand hath formed the crooked serpent. Lo, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? In other words, Job's the gist of what he's saying, there are mysteries of God that no man cannot, can plumb them. But then he continues, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and my Almighty vexed my soul, and while, all, while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils, my lips shall not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid that I should justify you. Till I die, I will not remove mine integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast, and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. You know, it's interesting, you stand back, if you see, this probably was a play. The whole thing's in poetry, except the opening and closing chapters. But can you visualize the eloquence on both sides as a play? You've got these three guys. Um, Eliphaz, the eloquent, then Bildad, and Zophar, uh, each one decreasing eloquence. But anyway, attacking all of them relatively eloquently, this one guy who's on this trash heap, hurting, bleeding, uh, near death. And he fends them all off. Fends them all off. We get down to about verse 11. Some scholars think verse 11 of chapter 27 is Zophar's third discourse. And I won't try to build that one way or the other. And they typically assume that that uh, can be viewed that way uh, right on through. Well, let's just continue. Job, in any case, chapter Job 29 is Job again, his final reply. And we have extended a soliloquy as to his fi- which is his final defense. He reviews everything that's happened to him, and he count, first the first thing he does is count his blessings. Can you imagine that? He undoubtedly does pretty well, but he still makes some rash and reckless statements that he later regrets and acknowledges uh, later. But uh, his suffering at this point is too deep to to aim at any you know arguing with these guys. He just simply seeks the truth. So Job continues, and oh that I were in uh, were as in months past, and in the days when God preserved me, when His candle shined upon my head, and when His light 
uh, and went by his light and walked through darkness. And he goes through, and really, it's it's a it's a recounting of his blessings. Boy, it goes on all the way through chapter thirty-one. Um, we get chapter thirty-one. He's he's starting to search for a reason, and he's but he he has learned as you watch his dialogue that uh, to keep clean before uh, God. In order to be clean before his God, he has to be careful of what he allows his eyes to see. He makes a covenant with his eyes. Interesting. Job 31, verse 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above? What inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? I have walked with vanity. If my foot hath hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. If my step be turned out of the way and my heart be uh, walked after mine eyes, and if my blot hath cleaved to mine hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out, and so forth. But he goes on here, and uh, we'll find that there's no adultery in his life, there's no injustice to his servants. In verse 13, if I did despise the cause of a manservant, maidservant, when they were contended with me, when then shall I do, what shall I do when God riseth up? When you get down to verse, after verse 15, no injustice to the poor and defenseless. And he goes on for a dozen, half a dozen verses. Get down to verse 23, there's no trust in wealth. This doesn't mean he's perfect, but he, he, he recounts his record that, uh, Verse 25, I, I, if I rejoiced because of my wealth, it was great, and because mine hand hath gotten much. And he goes on, if I held, and then, uh, then he also talks about any secret idolatry. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath secretly enticed, or my mouth hath kissed my hand, this also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge, for I would have denied that God is above. And he goes on about no gloating over the misfortune of others. If I rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me, or lifted up myself when evil found him, Neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul. He goes on. He's not stingy with his wealth. He says, verse 31, If my if the men of my tabernacle said not, Oh, that we had of his flesh, we cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveler. And he goes on. No hypocrisy or secrets and so forth. In fact, even at the end, it's kind of interesting, he even, the last few verses of this chapter, he has not abused the land or caused any pollution. This is very relevant stuff. He's a good ecologist, in other words. And you finally get, after verse, in 40, verse 40, the words of Job are ended. And uh, now, we might talk a little bit. Uh, we've been a little cavalier just zipping through this, which is hurtful because it's so eloquently written, but we'd be in it all night. Um, we have, generally, two kinds of speakers. Those that have something to say and those that have to say something. And these three guys are of the second kind. All three of these comforters were committed to the same fixed theory of life, that calamity is always the outcome of sin. It's a health and wealth gospel, by the way. There are major, major ministries on television that are locked into this same view of life. If you're sick, it's because you have not enough faith. Boy, I'd like to see them tell that to Paul, who was sick, and so on. See, they all measure things by this present life. Wrong, guys. They're all static. There's no advance in the views of the three friends. They all just eloquently remouth the same platitudes. They change expressions, but the same. They all must justify 
Job at God's expense or vice versa. And they certainly aren't going to justify Job at God's expense. So they're all, that's their, that's their thing. Eliphaz was based on observation. Bildad on tradition. Zophar on assumption. Eliphaz was a moralist. Bildad was a legalist. Zophar was a dogmatist. They're all close cousins. Eliphaz was an apologist. Bildad a lecturer. Zophar simply a bigot. But the good news is they're all finished. We're through with them. I, I rushed through this hour to get them behind me because the, the rest of the book of Job to me is really fun. And so I have to admit that I'm glad to be through this. But uh, the first round, just to summarize them again, the three are, in, in the, uh, are one in the contention that God always prospers the upright and always punishes the perverse. And of course, Job simply re- rebuts them from his own experience. In the second round, Eliphaz emphasizes that only the wicked suffer. Bildad insists that the wicked always suffer. Those are almost the same thing, not quite. And Zophar insists that any seeming prosperity of the wicked is short-lived. Those are all wrong. They're occasionally true, but certainly not a, a, a universal generality. And, of course, Job rebuts each one of these guys from his own experience. And, of course, in the third round, it's pretty much the same, except they're just more vehement uh, in their expression, and they're embroidered with evasive platitudes. And, again, Job rebuts it with experiences. But if you intend to argue with Job, you better have your arguments well in hand, because he's able, in each one of these rebuttals, to cut through the logic, the the logical errors of the position. And uh, their theology does not square with experience. It's their creed they have faith in rather than God himself. Listen to that. They had faith in their beliefs rather than faith in God. There's a gigantic difference. It's a gigantic difference. A man with true experience is never at the mercy of a man with argument. Now at this point in the book, we sort of sit where Job sits. The pressures, his riddles... uh, be, trouble us too. His questions he's raising bother us too because we don't have answers yet either. I think though we too have learned that God is larger than any theology that we might embrace. And uh, he's never inconsistent, never capricious. That's one of the gigantic differences between Allah of, of the Quran and the God of the Bible. Allah is presented as capricious. He can do anything. The God of the Bible, not so. He's always consistent and he delights in making, keeping, in keeping his promises. And he's loving. And uh, even though we may not understand what's happening, he probably finds a different way. I, I, always, I, I think he finds a different way every day to ask each of us, do you trust me? Sometimes they're subtle little things. Sometimes they're gigantic calamities. But he's asking the question, do you trust me? Job has had faith so far in the rule of God. But now he's begun to exercise his experience with a God that rules. And it's difference. One's more intimate. Now, the other insight that we get from this is that Job's view of himself is um, still woefully inadequate. Job doesn't really understand. He's, he's, he's got an exemplary life. Even God, before Satan, gives him an A-plus on his report card. But he's still a sinner. Uh, he's been defending himself in these things. Uh, and I think he, like ourselves, still, you and I, have a too little of an understanding of sin's attack on us and the depravity of our own hearts. You and I do not really understand how depraved we really are. 
Jeremiah 17.9, key verse. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. Think about that. That's quite a statement. The heart is deceitful above all things. And it says desperately wicked. The word isn't desperately. That's what's translated in the King James. It is incurably. You and I are incurably wicked. Nowhere in the Bible does God heal a heart. He replaces it. A new heart, I give you. That's what I mean, born again. It takes a creative act of God from scratch to make you worth something. We are not sons of God, we are sons of Adam. First John 1.11, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the power to become the sons of God, meaning a direct creation of God. That's in chapter 1 of John. He'll explain it in detail in John 3. Paul, by the way, also points out that there are depths that you and I are still not aware of. Paul says uh, in... Um, um, let me get my reference here. Yeah, First Corinthians 4. First Corinthians 4. Paul says, But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. See, even Paul, with his consciousness of his own sin, realizes that he doesn't know the half of it. He doesn't know the half of it. Hey, we think we're pretty good. Oh, really? You don't know the half of it. Well, now from here on, the book takes a huge shift. We are at chapter 32. And what I'm going to ask you to do for next time is read chapter 32 through 37. And you're going to read the words of a young man that shows up. He hasn't been discussed so far. A guy by the name of Elihu. And um, he is a mystery. Some scholars feel he's just another critic, very similar to the other three. He's maybe more of an intercessor than a critic, I suggest. I think it's profoundly significant, but you won't discover this until you get after chapter 30, into chapter 38, because God, in chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, 40, the last few verses of this book we're going to spend the rest of our time on after next time, last few times, um, are incredible. God steps in, and we hear a little of His eloquence on this whole matter. And He's going to put, <laughs> put down these three guys, he mysteriously makes no comment about Elihu, which causes all kinds of interesting conjectures about what, what's, what's Elihu doing here? What's his situation? But then God will start with a science quiz. There are at least 15 major discoveries in science that have been hidden in the book of Job. Astonishing. There is more about the creation of the universe in Job than there is in Genesis. And we're going to spend a little time... <laughs> On dinosaurs. In fact, I'll try to set up an evening where we talk just about dinosaurs. Uh, strange stuff. Most of us who have read childish, you know, childhood tales of dragons breathing fire, most of us, we always assume those are just legends and myths. Uh, China is, is, the whole culture is preoccupied with fire-breathing dragons. What will shake you up is to discover they're mentioned in Job. In the Word of God. And they're discovering that some of the dinosaur 
skulls have chambers that they didn't understand. They begin to understand it thanks to the bombardier beetle that some of the dinosaurs apparently did breathe fire. And so it's going to, we'll get into some of that. It will take two, there's two chapters, the behemoth and the leviathan. One's a representative land creature and the other one's a representative water creature, both gigantic. And there are people that believe they're somewhere around still today in certain regions. We'll talk about that when we get there. So this, the point is, we have, we have, in my opinion, gone through the difficult part of the book, these di- discourses. They're extensive, they're very eloquent, they're very fundamental, they're important. And yet, uh, I don't think we abused them too badly by just looking at them in a summary fashion. Uh, in any case, we certainly have set the, set the basis that you can in your own devotion just go through them and, and savor the eloquence of the expressions. But don't be disturbed as you go through because you'll realize as you read through, you cannot rebut the arguments of Eliphaz or Bildad. It's not that they're wrong. What they're saying is technically true and yet being misapplied. So be sensitive to that and, and the more time you spend on it, the more fruitful it will be. But for next time, we start shifting gears. We'll, we'll have the last of the discourses, so to speak, with Elihu. And he has a, he has a lot of little, there's a lot hidden there. And then we get to the, what I consider the fun part. God himself. In uh, chapter 38 and 39, 40, 41. And then the surprise ending in chapter 42. Let's stand for a closing word of prayer. I always feel I have to apologize for being so superficial for these critical chapters, and yet I hope that we've done enough so that you get the flavor of them, and enough that you can savor a little bit of the eloquence and at the same time get a flavor of what the issues are. I encourage you, if you feel that you've been shortchanged a little bit, just to read them verse by verse of yourself next time, for next time. But uh, focus on the Elihu for the next session. Let's bow our hearts. Well, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Job. We thank you for its lessons, Father. Indeed, we come before your throne acknowledging that we too are guilty of the arrogance and the presumptions and, yes, the ingratitude that is expressed by Job's comforters. And, Father, we grieve too that we too have probably been so often much less a comfort to those that are hurting because of our the narrowness of our horizon, the blinders that we wear, the prejudices that hide us from truth. We pray, Father, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, open our hearts and lives to your word, that we're, we encounter those that are hurting, that we weep the, with those that hurt, and that we never, never lose sight of your, your majesty, the magnitude of your power, and of your love and your patience. Help us to remember, Father, that where you appear to be slow to act, it's because you're being merciful. That where you are silent, it's because you're teaching us to appreciate what we have and to seek the next step. We pray, Father, that you would just uh, continue to be patient with us. But above all, Father, we thank you that you've gone to such extremes to bring us a Redeemer that shall indeed be alive here on the earth. And that we too, Father, shall see you in our flesh, even though our reins are consumed within us. We thank you, Father, that you have a destiny for us 
that is so fantastic there's just nothing we can do to earn it. We, we thank you, Father, for increasing our awareness of our depravity, our awareness of how desperately we need you, how without you we are nothing. But also help us, Father, as we stagger in awe at the extremes that you've gone to that we might have a future far beyond our imagining. We thank you, Father, for Job. We do pray, Father, that you would minister to us in the dark valleys that we're in or maybe ahead of us, Father. We thank you, Father, that each of these are for our learning and for our strengthening and that you have a purpose in them, even though we may not know that purpose. We thank you, Father, that you are a loving Father, that you love us beyond our imagining. We thank you, Father, that you care enough for us to draw us into intimacy with you, which is beyond accounting. So, Father, as we go forth, we pray that you would just uh, continue to help each of us to grow in grace and the knowledge of you. And Jesus Christ, of you sent. For, Father, we just thank you and we commit ourselves without reservation into your hands in his most holy name. And, Father, we do pray for each one here that your purpose would be accomplished in each of our lives, that you would lift the veil, let us see what you would have us see, Father. Let us not be myopic, let us not miss, let's not be short-sighted, Father, in in what you have for us. And help us, Father, each of us, that the lessons that we're learning not be wasted, but that we provide for our growth. We do pray, too, Father, for your travel mercies as we go home. The roads are slick. The time is late. We do pray, Father, that you just watch over each of us and keep us from harm as we commit ourselves into your hands in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Job. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. You can also call us on 1-800-K-HOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music